Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook Network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat. Interactive here on Thursdays as we open up the big old bag of mail. A little bit later on in the show, we'll be taking questions which have been submitted by giving us a five-star review. And in that review, you put your question, we get it, we throw it in the big old bag of mail, tackle it in a future mailbag episode. We also, here at the beginning and all throughout the show, are going to be taking questions from the live audience. So the chat has been rocking and rolling since early this morning, as soon as the link went live. Those of you who are subscribed to youtube.com slash cover three, you got a little notification and you got the opportunity to get your question in early Gentlemen, we're going to dive into one of those right now. This question from the chat from Brock. When their old coach retires, which one of these schools will continue to remain on track? Utah with Kyle Whittingham, Iowa with Kirk Ferentz, North Carolina, Mac Brown, or Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy? Now, we were re- reviewing this um, you know, just before we got started. All four of these schools have played for a conference championship in the last couple of seasons. Utah, obviously, as the two-time reigning champion of the Pac-12, has probably had the most success. And uh, Oklahoma State, they hey, listen, man, they were right there in it last year in a New Year's Six Bowl. Danny, when the current sitting head coach at this school's retire, which one is best set up to remain on track? Um, they're kind of different situations too. Ference and Mac Brown are older than Whittingham and Gundy, right? Correct. Like Whittingham mm-hmm. and Gundy are probably around the same age, like 50, low 50s, mid 50s, somewhere around there. Um, but I'll for the for the question, I'll say I'll say Utah. Hmm. I, I think Utah, especially with USC UCLA leaving the Pac 12, or if Utah stays in a Pac-12 that's, you know, reworked or they go to the Big 12. I think they're in a pretty pretty good position. And it's great home field. I think what they've done for the brand there has been phenomenal. Um, you kind of have a nice recruiting pipeline uh, to kind of own that area of the country, pull in some of the Polynesian along with BYU, um, you know, players. So I'm going to say Utah. And also, like, where are we talking about to continue to remain on track? Yeah, UNC are they on track? You know, like for what? You know, on track to win as many games as Duke. 
But like <laughs> Kyle Whittingham owes you a bottle of bourbon because not only did you 63. pick sixty three, sixty three, yeah. Wow, <laughs> good looking sixty three. That's he somebody does, who's, he looks great. Yeah, he looks fantastic. Yeah, Kirk Ferentz is sixty seven. Kyle Whittingham is sixty three. No one would imagine that they oh. are separated by just four years. Mm -hmm. This is uh, the things that I need to consider here are the way I look at it. I don't know who the most likely to remain on track is, but I want to go with Iowa being the least likely. Not because they don't have, like, that was a successful program before Kirk Ferentz showed up. Like, Hayden sure. Fry was doing a pretty good job with that program. And they've kind of, it was kind of, it's not all that different from what happened with Wisconsin when they went from Barry Alvarez to Brett Bielema and so on, where they've kind of maintained that. But, like, Utah is going to be in a Pac-12 that's not going to have USC and UCLA. It might move to the Big 12. I don't know. Uh, North Carolina is in an ACC in which it's, you know, the ACC has got a ton of problems of its own. We were talking about them yesterday. I don't know what the future of that conference is going to look like. And Oklahoma State is going to remain in a Big 12 that is losing Oklahoma and Texas. So the path to being on track, as I guess this question means it, is still, it's going to get easier. I was in a Big 10 conference that's adding USC and UCLA. It's not going to be as easy for Iowa to keep winning eight, nine, ten games every single season once those two schools join, once they get rid of the division format, and once they change the scheduling format. So I would probably lean Utah just because I do think they've got enough in place there. I think talent-wise, North Carolina has an edge if they can get a coach in there who can continue recruiting but maybe do a little bit better job of uh, coordinating both sides of the ball at the same time. Then Oklahoma State, I think, will still always be pretty decent. I don't know if it'll be a power. It's just Iowa, I feel like, is the only one of those four where I'm like pretty sure it'll slip off a bit. And by slip off, I just mean seven, six, seven wins, six wins, that kind of thing. Mike Gundy, to me, is Oklahoma State. You know, that's one where I'd be a little bit, because you mentioned Hayden Fry came to mind too. Okay, there is some success at Iowa before Kirk Ferentz. Uh, the North Carolina under Mac Brown, seen the same highs and lows of North Carolina from the old Mac Brown, or even Larry Fedora got him to an ACC championship game where they fell short against Clemson by a narrower margin than last year's team did. So, you know, they're kind of whatever on track means they're still capable of reaching that of these four schools. And of course, Utah under urban Meyer, well, that was just a rocket ship uh, right before Kyle Whittingham took over of these four schools, Oklahoma state would be the one I'm the most concerned about. Because the track record of competing for Big 12 championships or conference championships just really isn't there prior to Gundy's arrival. And he's turned in uh, eight, nine, ten win seasons, one after another after another. He's, he's competed for championships. He's played in New Year's Six Bowl games and big-time bowl games. And that wasn't really the standard. When Les Miles was at Oklahoma State... You know, he got a nice little pat on the back and a great job opportunity off of a very, very small amount of success, success that has since been eclipsed by Mike Gundy. I I think that Oklahoma State, and by the way, Gundy is 55. Yeah, because like, he might be there for another decade still. He as well, you never know. Right. <laughs> it's looked a little dicey for Mike there at times. Will he be there another decade or another six months? 100%. It might be his choice and it might not be. It's, that's, that's the right. thing with that. Yeah. If he decides that he's just going to like, like, hey, I'm sick of y'all. I don't want to put up with this anymore. I'm going to go hunt rattlesnakes and let my son take over. Like that's, that's an outcome. That is, that is something that could potentially happen. But I'd be the most concerned about the transition because of what Mike Gundy has meant to Oklahoma State.
football and raising the expectations during his time there. But that, there's another aspect of this question too, because like this is it's phrased when when their old coach retires. Like Gundy of the old coaches on this list is the young guy at 55. But like we've already seen the trend in the NFL and we've started to see it in the college game. We're like, how many coaches a few years from now are still going to be coaches at 55? Because the hours are not getting any easier for being a college football coach. There's so much more work you have to do that I think we're seeing younger coaches are becoming head coaches earlier than they were in the past. I just kind of think we're going to see a lot more burnout. I don't know how many guys you're going to see sticking around for 20 years into their 60s going forward. That's a good point. We'll, uh, we will see, and we appreciate you, Brock. Keep the questions coming. Uh, we will be getting to them all throughout the show. So in the last couple of days, one thing that you have probably seen a flood of is kickoff time announcements, television picks, this is when you start to piece together uh, the information that's going to go into, you know, our, our award-winning week one game draft as we try to put together the best viewer's guide possible. You know, you try to figure out, like, the way your Saturday is going to unfold. It's something that's fun to do here in the offseason. We've also gotten a wave of bowl game announcements. We want to jump right into the Pop-Tarts Bowl? Is it, is yeah. it time? Is it time for us to discuss how the journey that that Orlando-based bowl game has become. I mean, it is, I mean, Russell Athletic, Champ Sports, Micron PC, the Blockbuster Bowl. I mean, it has been around the world, and now it's coming right out of your toaster. The Pop-Tart Cheez-It Bowl is now the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Danny, what do you make of this uh, the, the, this new, bowl, new name for a bowl game that has been around for a while? Don't forget, you forgot CarQuest Bowl, Mazda Tangerine Bowl, and the Visit Florida Tangerine Bowl of some of the names that have been used in there. So I have a theory, okay? Okay. Um, so have you guys noticed when you go to Wawa or you go to 7-Eleven how much Cheez-Its have grown in stature? Like they used to be bottom of the rung <laughs> as far as like chips and like snack food. And now they're like top shelf, multiple options, baked. They got ruffle style. They have traditional. Then they got all these flavors, right? I think it's a direct result of the Cheez-It Bowl, right? I mean, they have been burst <laughs> on the scene with this recognition. And you know what's kind of falling off? Like, I don't see a lot of Pop-Tarts anymore by the kids. I don't see kids eating Pop-Tarts anymore. They got a lot of flavors, too, but I don't see them on the top shelf. Their bottom kind of stashed away. And you know who owns both? Kellogg's. Mm -hmm. Kellogg's is saying, you know what? We've seen the success we had the Cheez-It Bowl with that brand. Let's shift it on over to Pop-Tart. You're going to have the kids stay. Like, who's going to be staying in the Pop-Tart room when they go there? It'll be all maybe the purple raspberry flavor or blueberry, strawberry, whatever it is. And they'll get free Pop-Tarts and it'll be all over social media. And then next thing you know, it'll be Cheez-Its top shelf. And then right next to it, Pop-Tarts. Bam. Danny's been watching too much Succession. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's I, I like no, he's right. You know, yeah. like, okay, listen, the job is done. We've we've done it with Cheez Its. Now let's take this weaponization from the bowl yes. game and yes. let's <laughs> let's move it on to a product that needs some help. I I do not still, though, if Pop Tarts wants to send some along, I will gladly eat Pop Tarts on the Cover Three podcast. But it was a foundational part of my uh my breakfast cuisine at one time where we line it up. What's our what's our ideal Pop Tart flavor? 
it was never a foundational part of breakfast, but it was definitely a foundational part of being stoned in college. Yes. <laughs> I, my favorite flavor, and I don't, I don't toast them. I just eat them like I, I raw dog them right out the pack. I don't, I don't need them warm. My favorite flavor has always been brown sugar and cinnamon. Those to me are the Ooh. goat pop tarts. Frosted strawberry and warm it up. See, take too much time. Like I get it, but like it's too much time. Why, why do I need to waste about, time putting them in a I'm toaster? I'm talking about eating these as like a seven-year-old. You're talking about a very different experience. <laughs> but like you're which seven, you shouldn't you be say, playing with the toaster did anyway. You say, did you say traditional cinnamon roll? Uh, no, no. Brown sugar cinnamon frosted. Ooh. So I like traditional cinnamon roll. Those are good too. Yeah. Wildberry um, is, is another good one. Solid choice. Another. I will say of the fruit filling, strawberry was my favorite for sure. Um, you know what I'll put at the bottom? Jolly Rancher. Oh, oh, there's a Jolly Rancher. And I like Jolly Ranchers, but that is a disgusting combo. <laughs> I can't imagine that would be good. Like no. a Jolly Rancher in like a pastry kind of crust. Some things just- they try to cram down our throat, like Starburst gum. I love Starburst, but the gum is horrible. Ugh, it, tastes, it makes you want to puke. Like some <laughs> things they try to force down your throat. Jolly Ranchers and Pop-Tarts, not a good combo. I, yeah, I like get- Don in the chat says that we should have the Nick Saban sour grape flavored pop tart. That is good. Boy, if he's playing in this ball, there will be some sour grape. <laughs> Can you imagine like a bucket of pop tarts being dumped on Nick Saban's head after a win? The reaction to that, what he would do? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, the uh, if I think that if you don't warm it up, it's pretty, you, you got to have a, a drink with it, right? And that's too chalky, right? You, you lose some of the gooiness just sticky you know i mean sure (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right so i wanted to to point out something else that's a little bit interesting so this is going to be for um cbs's college football coverage a little bit of a transition year the sec on cbs will still exist and hold down the traditional 3 30 p.m eastern time um time slot you of course can watch all those games on cbs you can stream all of those games on paramount plus but this is also the beginning of our relationship with the big 10 we have seven games that are going to be on cbs and also available on paramount plus not only on paramount plus but on cbs and paramount plus and there's a there, some of the games have already been announced. In week one, there's going to be uh, Ohio State's playing at Indiana. There's a Northwestern Rutgers game on a Sunday. Michigan hosts UNLV. But there's two games that have yet to be announced. And so I want to put us in the, the TV exec uh, position. Because on Saturday, November 4th, CBS has a triple header of college football. It's got the Big Ten on CBS at noon. It's got one SEC on CBS game at 3.30 and another SEC on CBS game at 745. I understand Big Ten and noon is a relationship that's a little bit difficult, but I want to throw these games at you from Saturday, November 4th. What game would you like to see? And maybe you can be realistic about it as kicking off a CBS triple header leading into the SEC on CBS uh, double header. So on Saturday, November 4th, the Big Ten games are Wisconsin at Indiana, Penn State at Maryland, Purdue at Michigan, Nebraska at Michigan State, Illinois at Minnesota, Iowa at Northwestern, and Ohio State at Rutgers. Of note, Iowa, though I don't know if Iowa Northwestern would land here, already has two spots in the Big Ten on CBS. Seven uh, Big Ten on CBS games already announced Iowa's in two of them, one of them being a Black Friday game against Nebraska. 
What do you think we're going to get or what would you like to see kicking off the CBS Sports triple header on Saturday, November 4th? Well, I need to see the Big 12 schedule that weekend because I got to figure out who's going to be the big nude Saturday game. I would think if honestly, I don't know if there's a game on the schedule that Fox is going to take for that window. So if we're we might get the first choice here. Um, do you want to see brands? Do you want to see good game? Like, are we doing this for ratings or what game is close at the end? Kind of maybe both ideally. Yeah, yeah, ideally both. You know, you're in the Big Ten. The best teams are not bad brands. We at least have that working for us, right? You know, like. But don't you like? Don't you leave off Ohio State Rutgers because it's gonna be a blowout. Yeah, correct. Just leave that off. That's a Big Ten Network game. Um, I would say Purdue Michigan might be the one. Yeah, Purdue Michigan or Nebraska Michigan State, I think, are the two games that we could probably get and would be the most entertaining and would probably draw eyeballs. Um, by the way, uh, the SEC slate for that very same weekend. Um, I'm just gonna say, uh, there's yeah, Arkansas and Florida, Missouri and Georgia. Kentucky, Mississippi State, Texas A&M at Ole Miss, um, you know, Auburn at Vanderbilt, and uh, <clears throat> LSU at Alabama. So what do we... Th- Nick I, Saban's going to protest that game being played. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying that uh, Saturday, November 4th, we don't, we don't know how things are going to break. A lot of time before those games are announced, but... Uh, I think we don't. Is this the one though? Don't we have to tell them ahead of time? Because it's been stuck there in primetime, hasn't it? With mm-hmm. a blowout. Yeah, you got to. I think with the primetime game, you got to give them a few, like the two week notice. I think that's. Oh, I thought it was like there. today, like or before the season kicks. It'll be. I want to say, didn't we get an LSU Bama in primetime where they were a four touchdown underdog, like one of those years? I thought there was a deal where you had to announce your prime time. I could be way off. I thought you had to like give ESPN and the other selectors like early acknowledgement, and that's where it gets tricky. Like, so the last two have- years, it has not been announced right now, but it has been announced closer to time. Like last year when this uh, announcement came out, they released it. You looked at the schedule. This was right on the heels of Jimbo and Saban popping off at each other. And we saw that the night game happened to be on the day that Texas A&M was going to be playing Alabama. Mm. And Texas A&M had beat Alabama the year before. You were like, well, that's what the game's going to be. And that's what it was because LSU Alabama was a game that was actually on ESPN, the game that ended up going to overtime. It's been Texas A&M and Alabama in the primetime game, I think the last two years. I say we tell them whatever the hell we feel like telling them. What are they going to do? Leave? <laughs> it's the last year of the deal. They're gone anyway. Who cares? <laughs> we'll, we'll let you know on Monday. All right. Yeah. You get a six day heads up. Pack your bags and be ready, boys. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, uh, it is very interesting. And on CBSSports.com right now, we've got a full breakdown of the Big Ten on CBS and SEC on CBS games. And a lot of the, like, October 28th, there will be a Big Ten game leading into an SEC game. It's going to be really fun to be able to, to sort of watch the transition happen in real time. Uh, so it should be a lot of fun. Any other, like, kickoff times or bowl announcements that, uh, that stood out to y'all? Colorado on Big Noon Saturday, the first two weeks of the season. Listen, Could be great. Could be bad. Hey, just get it in early because I don't think you're going to see them late. <laughs> 
But that's <laughs> right. I mean, that's yeah. exactly the time to do it. Blow it out of the water. You get the first road game. You get the first home game. They're probably going to be zero two, and then you kind of wait and see what happens. But then you get all right. So they've got those. They've got TCU, Nebraska, and then, Nebraska. And then their first two Pac twelve games are against Oregon and USC. Mm-hmm. Like I'm glad that we don't have to seek out Colorado. Like Colorado, <laughs> right. we're going to have to talk about Colorado no matter what. They right. are going to be in five big, sp- four of five big spotlight opportunities before we even hit October 1st. So, Do you know, all I know for sure, ESPN, ABC, I think it's more conferences too, are really trying to push the envelope, envelope this year broadcast wise with like different, you know, trying new things, having mm-hmm. players mic'd up. Getting you know coaches mic'd up more in game, you know playing back more of that sound. I mean, is there anybody better to get mic'd up throughout an entire game than Dion? Like, no. I think you're going to get such a healthy dose of that, or maybe unhealthy, depending on how you look at it. Yes, you two guys, this though, who who wants that? Uh, it depends on what it is. You know, like. Like they, I, they've been doing it in NBA games for a long time. You know, they'll have like the coaches do the interviews on the sidelines after the first and third quarter. They've got players mic'd up. They've got coaches mic'd up. Never once have I like maybe oh not once, but I'd say like point two percent of the time you hear something from those mic'd up segments that's actually interesting. It's usually just clapping and let's go. All right, come on. Right. So then don't use it. That's where I think you have to have somebody really knowledgeable and a good judge of like what's entertaining, mm-hmm. what is insightful in the truck for the broadcast crew that says, man, here was Dion coaching up Travis Hunter on a tell, you know, that the quarterback was, you know, looking at just something little or an alignment in the backfield. And if you could play that back after he had a pick six, like that's bam, uh, that's gold, mm-hmm. you know, or, like the best thing, you know, like when you see NFL films, the way they review the game and yep. on Tuesday, whenever inside the NFL comes out, they'll go back and get so much great sound, especially the Super Bowl when Patrick Mahomes, you know, is calling the wrong formation. The wrong yeah. And like, and it still worked. And like, you hear like, oh, we think he's the goat. He doesn't make a mistake. And then you find out after, oh, they had no clue what you were doing because it was a formation nobody had seen ever because it was the wrong formation. Like, stuff like that. I also think the players could provide better interviews at halftime if they'll let them. Like, Caitlin Clark did the – I remember watching the Final Four. Caitlin Clark did the coach interview going in at halftime, and I was like, oh, this is different, and it was great. Like, she was still sweating. She's like, I just – she asked her what she just saw in, like, a possession before, and what are you going to do at halftime? And it was – very polished is one of the most, you know, uh, somebody who's done a lot of media. But I think if you had Caleb Williams, if you had Drake May coming off at halftime, as opposed to Lincoln Riley or Mac, I'd want to see that. Now, they might be just as boring, but I'd like a little mix up. There's also, yeah, there's definitely better chance for uh, some, some interesting insight from a player who's just still kind of amped up, whereas a coach who speaks to the media every single day of the week pretty much knows exactly as soon as the mic gets in his face it's we're going to play hard and we just got to go fit clean up some mistakes <laughs> man right my world for a quarterback that undercuts his head coach on national television heading into the locker room. <laughs> Caleb Williams out here like Lincoln's got to call better plays I've been telling <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've been telling Lincoln that uh you know this is open right here and uh we're, we're not hitting it right now so we just got to make those changes and then we'll be all good <laughs> Or, dude, that's why coaches are terrified why they won't do it. 
was it Matt McGloin in the USFL or XFL? And he was like, we got to make some, we got to get rid of some of these off. We got to call, no, he, he called out the offensive coordinator. He's like, we got to call different plays. He's like, this is a horrible game plan. Like that's the other option is you could get somebody a little too honest and then coach is dealing with a mess or you get Sam Darnold saying, I see ghosts and it goes viral and it kind of shatters his confidence mm -hmm. for the like forever. Never. He's never really bounced back from that. Like those are the things where you really have to have a trust relationship with the truck, like what they're going to use and your guys, what they're going to say. First of all, I want to say, you know, this is a, there's a lot of good speed out there and there's a lot of good speed. If you go on down to Kane's chicken right now, you like get the NIL plugs in there like yeah. a nice car driver. <laughs> well, first I want to thank, I want to thank the team at Roy Hodges Chevrolet. And <laughs> Listen, we would be uh, we would be nowhere without Hodge and Kitchell insurance. Okay, the insurance <laughs> you've got to be able to know that the offensive line is going to be there for you. Yeah. It would just be like the radio broadcast then. Like yeah. Jam in all those, all the sponsors. Yeah. yeah. All right, coming up on the other side, we're going to dive into the big old bag of mail with a question asking us to put together our ideal conference. We'll get into that and more next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, this question is from the big old bag of mail uh, from That Damn Dog. Uh, he says, hey guys, love the pod and have been watching the show for over a year now. With all the conference realignment going on, what would your perfect conference look like what teams would you want in your conference for maximum revenue, competition, and fan experience? And I went selfish on this, and I'll go ahead and say that. Like, I, I didn't want to include the maximum revenue because that's just like cold and spreadsheety, and that's that's not fun. I, I, I want to hear where, what's in our hearts. Uh, I didn't go into this with the idea of maximum revenue, but the fact of the matter is, based on the way things currently are, my conference will have the maximum revenue because my conference is mostly consisted of the school that makes the conference that makes the most money. I'm not really changing up the Big Ten too much, but my perfect conference is very much the Big Ten with some changes. Rutgers, Maryland, USC, UCLA, bye. I, I don't want, it's I, I don't care. It's like you're not Big Ten schools and you're never really going to be Big Ten schools to me. Sorry. Nebraska is like Nebraska came in and it fit in. I was like, all right, cool. That makes plenty of sense. So my perfect conference, it's a 16 team conference with 12 big 10 schools. Those 12 big 10 schools are Illinois, Michigan, Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan state, Indiana, Purdue, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Northwestern. The other four schools, Notre Dame, duh, Colorado, 
which I've always had an affinity for and already used to have the rivalry with Nebraska. You bring them in, so now you get Colorado and Nebraska back. Then I'm adding Missouri because I've always felt Missouri was more of a Big Ten school than an SEC school to begin with. And way back during the conference realignment, I wanted Missouri in the Big Ten more than I wanted Rutgers in Maryland, but they didn't have enough cable boxes, so you know they didn't get in. And then I was stuck for the 16th team between Kansas and Iowa State. Kansas, because of its basketball program, and then also the border war with Mizzou. But this isn't for basketball. This is for football. And when you go to a football game in Ames compared to when you go to a football game in Lawrence, the environments are just a little different. You go to Iowa State, you feel like you're at a Big Ten game because it's a large stadium that is packed and filled with people who have been tailgating outside for hours and are now inside the stadium. So you get that rivalry with Iowa. It becomes a Big Ten game now. So my 16-team perfect conference, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, Indiana, Purdue, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Northwestern, Notre Dame, Colorado, Mizzou, and Iowa State. Boom. Okay. All right. I focused on fan experience, specifically the ability to be able to go to all of the games, all of the games. So I would like to introduce to you the 10 hour conference. I went a little bit selfish. I went a little bit Homer, especially with my building blocks. We begin with North Carolina, NC State, Duke and Wake. Um, Those four schools are and their relationship with each other back in the day, the big four. That is foundational to my love of college sports. But this is a college football conference. We got to go west. We're picking up Tennessee. We're picking up Vanderbilt. But something happened along the way. Something happened when we got to the border. The state troopers are asking, where did all that moonshine come from and what's that smell? Because we got App State on board as well. That's right. We got North Carolina Duke, Wake, um, (laughs) NC State, App State, Tennessee and Vandy. Ooh, this is a this is a good motley looking crew. Seven schools so far. We move south. We go down into South Carolina. We pick up Clemson. Got to get some national championships. We pick up South Carolina. We need those rabid fan bases. And again, a unique away game experience. We continue on south. We get Georgia, the two-time reigning national champions, and we get Georgia Tech as well. We're holding down the Atlanta metro area. We are still within a 10-hour drive for all these schools, and we can extend the web even further. We go south. We pick up Florida State in Tallahassee. We pick up Florida in Gainesville. And again, I'm doing all my math here. We're still within a 10-hour drive, one day's drive, from all these different schools. It's North Carolina, NC State, Duke, Wake, Tennessee, Vandy, App State, South Carolina, Clemson, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, and Florida State. And I was ready to make an exception to get Miami and all the national championships. But then I realized that if I'm talking about fan experience, fan experience, no. Let's go about two and a half hours north of Winston-Salem, three and a half hours northeast of Knoxville. (laughs) <laughs> the Virginia Tech Hokies come on down you are the 14th member of the 10 hour conference so again 7 of these schools from the ACC uh, 6 schools from the SEC 1 from the Sun Belt that 14 team league has a three-five-five scheduling model so that everybody can see each other and again our, the 10-hour conference allows everybody to put in these road trips uh, to be able to go see them all. And, hey, 
for our conference championship game. What do you think about the 10 hour conference championship brought to you by five hour energy now presenting a double <laughs> toast <laughs> for your road trips along the way. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a traveling caravan, the 10 hour conference. And that is my ideal conference. I love it. I can't believe Tom went so home with the big 10. I'm still <laughs> mad about that. I mean, I added Mizzou, Colorado, Iowa state, Notre Dame. Chip's got seven ACC teams and like 17 North Carolina teams in his conference. <laughs> All right. So this is really hard, really hard because I went about it a little bit differently. And I'm a little greedy with this. Super okay. League. Yes. Yeah, I actually league. created a league. Yeah. Okay. And I split them up. So I have three tiers. So you could call one Premier League, Champions League, whatever it is. <laughs> And my top tier to start, my 16 teams to start, Florida State, Miami, USC, UCLA, Ohio State, Michigan, Oklahoma, Texas, Auburn, Alabama, LSU, and Florida. Okay, so went for like the pairings. Right. Tried to get some traditional rivalries, bigger brands. Oh, I forgot. Texas A&M, Clemson, Georgia, Notre Dame. That's the 16. Sorry, I forgot those last four. I had a line drawn there. 12 was too small a league, though. And I didn't want Notre Dame left out of the top tier or Georgia for offending those fans. All right, so that's your sixteen team. What's the highest one in soccer? Uh, the Premier, Premier league. league. So that's your Premier League. Your Champions League. Arizona State, Arizona, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Oregon, Washington, Nebraska, Colorado, Penn State, Pitt, UNC, NC State, and Tennessee and Wisconsin. Okay? Okay. Then you've got 16 more of kind of the leftover Power 5 schools. The Virginia Techs, the uh, Georgia Techs, Oklahoma State, Washington State. Utah was in there. I was probably really offended by this exercise, but I just had them bought. And then you know what you do? You cycle out the top two with the bottom two. Mm -hmm. Two teams get relegated. Two teams rise up. And you go over there and even shoot at the bottom if you want to cycle down to a group of five tier as well. There's your super conference. I've solved every problem in college football. Let's so go. you're talking about the great breakaway. Like you have yes. built a great breakaway yeah. with promotion and relegation. Da- God, Danny, insane. Yeah, da- Danny's going to line up with all the media partners. You know, it's going to be all the conference commissioners. And they're going to be like, we've, we've brought in someone who's got the answers. And then in walks Danny Cannell. That's right. <laughs> Here we go. PowerPoint presentation ready to go. Am I right, Greg? Am I right, Greg? <laughs> this is hey, hey, money follows us, right, Greg? Yeah, yeah, money follows us. Yeah, you'll be able to you'll be able to have it. Um, yeah, I, I like it. Different different ways to approach it. Whether you want to maximize revenue, whether you want to maximize fan experience, uh, we do appreciate all those questions. Let's go back to the chat. Um, I feel like we've answered this one before, but always interesting. Could last year's Georgia Bulldogs beat an XFL team? Yes. 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 Yeah, probably. Last year's Georgia Bulldogs doesn't have XFL players. It has NFL players. Mm -hmm. TCU has XFL players. We saw what happened. 65 to 7. Yikes. Uh, I'm kidding, TCU fans. You have plenty of NFL players on that team. Yeah, and they all are gone now. And that's yeah. the thing that's really concerning about 2023. Congratulations. The last yes. two would beat them. Well, I mean, yeah. you could just put any national champion in there, right? Just pick mm-hmm. the last five national champions and they would beat them, right? I would imagine. So. That, you know, they might lose. They, 
they would lose once in a while, but I think they would be favored. Whereas yeah. against the roster the NFL would be better. Team, yeah. The NFL team, it's like you would never pick them to win those games. I Sand. talked to a coach though. <laughs> he was one of the coaches who didn't have the best year. And he was telling me like he was told that they were trying to keep it younger, like under 25 years old. And so he was trying to build his roster that way. And then when his first game, he went to play their team and he noticed that they had like 30 year olds that were like seasoned vets. And he was like, wait a second, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Ended up not doing so well. Who ended up winning? Um, was it Stoops? Yeah, was Stoops won. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the Dallas Renegades, or I think that's what they're called. Stoops, yeah. Stoops, they gave him all of the points of what they wanted. And Stoops didn't listen to any of them. He's like, I'm going to go win. <laughs> was that XFL too? That was XFL, right? Who won the XFL championship 2023? The Arlington Renegades. Yeah, there we go. That's Stoops. I, yeah. I paid absolutely no attention to either one of those leagues. I did not either. Isn't yeah. one of them still going on, isn't it? I don't know. Is it? I, don't know. <laughs> I, just, I got, uh, I like other sports too. I don't need to watch minor league football. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to Sam. Texas is bringing in Paul Christ as an analyst. Do you see this having a major impact? And if you were a head coach, which head coach that was fired last season would you most want? Would you want most as an analyst on your team? I don't think it's going to have a major impact. I think no. that Paul Christ is a good offensive coach, and. I think that this is probably a great opportunity for him to be able to to hang around and and see something other than Wisconsin because the years that Paul Christ has been a head coach and then the years that oh it's not a head coach a head coach or assistant coach at the power conference level and the time he's been at Wisconsin is overwhelmingly Wisconsin mm -hmm. you know whether it's an offensive coordinator under Brett Bielma um, then of course then later as a head coach after he was at Pitt for a little bit like this. This is a good opportunity for Paul Christ to be able to go somewhere different, and I think that that's a good career growth experience for him. I don't see him individually having an impact on Texas's performance on the field. Yeah, I think you got an accurate read. I think Paul Christ is going to learn some new stuff. He's not going to teach Sark stuff. So who would you want of the coaches that were fired last season? I'd love to know what these guys do. Like I, I know some of them are cheating. Some of them, they're analysts and they're actually coaching, right? That was an no. issue that we've seen. And I think a lot of them probably do that. But I want to know, like, when I was on the Falcons, there Dan Reeves kept his, like, 90-year-old coach from high school on the, like, he would be walking around. He was kind of, it was awesome. Like, he was just a sweetheart of an old guy. He'd say hello. He'd say good game. Like, there was absolutely nothing that he did. It was almost like, or like I, I picture some of them like being like that where they just don't do anything. It's almost like a minister of culture. Like they're just there to encourage everybody. I mean, that's what uh, what's his face got at UCLA, right? Mia mm -hmm. well, um, Yep. With he, his title was something like that, wasn't it? Like minister of or coach of positivity or something like that. <laughs> Thought leader. <laughs> I think, like, oh, don't analysts do advanced scout? Like, Some like do, the, yeah. the value I mean, of Paul Christ is to have Paul Christ breaking down Alabama tape 
and come and like sitting down in the office with Sark and be like, hey, so they do this, this, and this, you know, and so we could do this, this, and this, and just being able to have those suggestions where you've got all the experience of coaching and scheming against college football that to me, it's more about building out the notebook in advance of the week where if, just to know that the eyes that you've got breaking down tape are not a 24-year-old who's like an up-and-comer, but somebody who's really sort of seen it all. I think that that's what Paul Chris would be for Sarkeesian. Yeah, I mean, some analysts will be doing that. Some are just coming up with new little wrinkles for the offense and that kind of stuff. It's There's really no like set role for an analyst. It's whatever you hire them to do. That's what they're going to do. Um, Someone might be drinking, buddies. Some of them might be drinking buddies. Uh, uh, who's fired last year that I would want as my analyst? So Kenny Amatololo, what like that one did come to mind. Like he would be director of leadership was the official title. Uh, but he also schematically, that's where I think Chip Kelly would utilize some of the things that he's been yeah. running and implement them with his system. You know, kind of just look for Option little stuff. nuances. Yeah, yeah, that could be a good, interesting hire. Um, and also. The Amatololo could get something out of it too, because you know, like you look at what Jeff Munkin's done. Like Jeff Munkin keeps trying to get out of Army, and then the idea is, well, I don't have to run the option. I know how to run other offenses. So for Ken, if he wants to get another head coaching job somewhere, learning, you know, getting more familiar with offenses that aren't the option could be helpful for him. Uh, yeah, Ken's a good choice. I'm trying to think of who else would I, I would want though. Um, who else was fired? Seth Latrell from North Texas. Generally yeah. considered a pretty bright offensive mind. He's led some you know, good quarterback development and schemed up some offenses over time. And it what we talk about the the minister of leadership. Remember the minister of mayhem? Remember when Jeff Collins' stock was so hot? You could have him come in and like cooking up some blitzes for your defense. I could see there could be some Jeff Collins uh, advantages to having him as a polo shirt in the building. I would have Seth Luttrell just to scare my problem, my troublemakers in the locker room. Just yeah, have Seth Luttrell stare at him and be like, yeah, get him in line. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think Ken's my favorite option of the, of the ones that we've talked about just because I think there's more there that I could learn than I would from other. Because, you know, as an expert college football coach like myself, I think Ken could teach me stuff that these other noobs can't. I've seen it all. David Shaw also. No yeah. way. No way having David Shaw around in your meetings is going to be a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. But schematically, no, I don't listen. know if, if David's teach there's anything. Oh, he could teach me things. I just don't know if I want to learn them. <laughs> okay. David Shaw strays here on a Thursday. Welcome. Welcome to June in the Cover Three podcast. I think no, I think David Shaw would be great in a lot of ways. I think David Shaw especially for like my recruiting operation and finding guys and evaluating talent. I think David Shaw would be very good at that. Yeah. Breaking That's the other thing I think the analyst does is probably scouting and breaking down tape of other players that you might want to get in the transfer portal or recruiting. So very interesting. Lots to get done. All right. Coming up on the other side, we dive back into the big old bag of mail with the question that with all this conference realignment moving and shaking, what would have happened if Nebraska had never left the Big 12? That and more next. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. This question comes from the Big Old Bag of Mail. You can add a question to the Big Old Bag of Mail by leaving us a five-star review. In that review, put your question. Uh, we also will take questions on Twitter, at Cover 3 Podcast, or sometimes they come in through email. we got a Twitter question coming up next. But first, this one comes from username Coach Groot. 
Hi, guys. Love the pod and have been listening for two and a half years now. Uh, I fell behind on the pod, so I'm catching up. But my question for y'all relates to a mailbag episode a couple of weeks ago about one thing you wanted to change about college football history. My question for y'all is what your take? what's your take on the outcome if Nebraska never left the Big 12? Where would they be now? Would Bo Pelini still be the coach? I'm not a Nebraska fan, but my dad is a big Husker fan and thought about this when the question got used in the episode. Thanks, you guys, for all you do for us college football sickos. Go Deeks. It's hard. He would have lasted longer, I think. Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't think – see, that's the thing. Success wasn't what brought Bo down. It was, yeah, it was – just being Bopalini, irascible personality that didn't play super well. Um, I think Nebraska, even if it wasn't the first leave, would have left eventually. Because I, I just think that in this era of realignment, like nothing would have stopped realignment because that was all driven by television networks, and Nebraska was still a popular and a valuable brand for some conference. Maybe it wouldn't have been the Big Ten, but it would. Maybe it would ended up in the Pac-12. Maybe it ends up in the SEC. I don't know, but. I think had it stayed in the Big 12 and was, it probably wouldn't have had as many down years as it's had. It would probably be maybe not competing for conference titles, but it would have been a regular bowl participant. As for, I don't know, is the overall nature of the question though, like, does, how does the sport change or just Nebraska? I think it's just Nebraska. Nebraska that if you're more Nebraska relevant, fan, I think they're more relevant, which they're still they're relevant because they're Nebraska, but they're more competitive. But if they're in the Pac 12, are they more relevant? No, the Big 12. I'm going on Big 12. Just they stayed in the Big 12. Yeah, that's, I think the question says if they stayed in the Big 12 because what they played for the Big 12 title in 09, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they probably stay very much in contention if, you know, Texas does in this alternate timeline experience the same post late Mac and post Mac drought that they did. That's probably more opportunities for Nebraska. I don't think Bo Pelini is still the head coach, but I do think he might get more time, you know, because don't you think, and this is just my, I don't have any good documentation on this, but when schools start to get more money from these television deals, doesn't it give them like a, an itchier trigger finger to mm-hmm. fire coaches just because you can afford it? Like there's, Hasn't there's stopped less, a big like, 12 from firing coaches. Mm, okay. Yep. That's fair. Yosef in the chat has a pretty good point though. Nebraska has been in the Big Ten for 12 years, which is almost as long as they were in the Big 12, 14 years. So, <laughs> yeah, but they start like they lost momentum. It's harder to win. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You it's know. they've had to, it's the whole recruiting aspect and the style of play, I think, is what they've had the most difficulty adjusting to because they were still do, taking a Big 12 kind of Big Eight approach to a conference and a division, which wasn't really lined up for them there. I'm going to say he and uh, I'm going to say Bo Pelini and Mike Gundy would have been just arch nemeses for the last decade had they stayed in the Big 12 as the longest tenured coaches in the conference. I think they'd really get along. Oh, but I think they'd talk trash too, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Nine win Bo, right? Wasn't that the. uh... Yeah. Man. Nine wins wasn't good enough. I'll never forget. So I was at ESPN and I got the call like, oh, he's been fired. And I don't have many right takes, but my take was, man, it's really nice to get nine or ten wins a year. You better be careful of what's next. And sure enough, it's what happened. 
Nebraska would have had more success. If they'd stayed in the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like a, a and I don't like know. think about how it's hurt their recruiting. Now they're recruiting against Big Ten teams and better Big Ten teams. I just I think it really has been a rough go of it for them. You know, I I think Nebraska would have been slightly better. The more I think about it, I think the bigger impact would have been on programs like Iowa State. If Nebraska doesn't leave and Missouri doesn't leave, does Iowa State kind of take the step forward that it has in recent years? Because I feel like Iowa State took advantage of a little bit of vacuum left by Nebraska. So I think it could have a bigger impact on other programs than it would have on Nebraska, honestly. Mm. All right, let's go back to uh, the big old bag of mail. This question comes from Allie. And Allie says, given the ACC's ongoing proceedings and now Pete Thamel's piece on the holes in the Big Ten television proceedings, um, this would be a report from ESPN's Pete Thamel regarding Kevin Warren and some unfinished business in the television contract that Just now- doing it? Then now the commissioner um, has to uh, has to current commissioner has to clean up. Uh, is it any wonder that Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame athletic director, has not committed to either? It's one thing to give up independence; it's another thing to give up the power to whoever is steering the boat at these conferences. Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. I. Th- Kevin Warren is no longer the Big Ten commissioner. Kevin Warren got a pretty good landing spot. To think that the athletic directors of the schools have no power after what happened and that Kevin Warren's magically gone and now all this stuff is coming out, the athletic directors had plenty of power. Mm. You think it was a a nice little... uh, It was was Bill O'Brien gets a new job situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean who hires them it's it's you know it's like the same thing with like an mlb commissioner and an nfl commissioner the owners are the ones who choose who the commissioner is and like the the way the question is being asked i don't want this to be misconstrued i don't think it is this is why we're independent it's probably just something that jack swarbrick's looking around and is like whoof i'll tell you what we're just gonna stay put right now because to be able to give up all this essentially they'd be giving up leverage notre dame has leverage right now and there's no reason to give it up in the immediate future until they get burned, which really hasn't hurt them in the playoff picture. And I wonder if they even care about not getting a home game, you know, or a buy. I think the know? buys might be gone eventually. It'll, it, it's got to get reconfigured. Oh, you think they're going to get rid of the buys? I think the seeding process will be gone after two years. I don't know if it will truly be expansion, but if the team that is ninth in the committee rankings gets the number four seed, it's gonna. It's not gonna sit great when you look at it that way, right? But don't you? Oh, so you're. Wait, wait, wait. It won't How be conference be? champions getting the top seeds, is what Chip's saying. It'll just I, be based on. I rankings. think you'd have four better options. I think you could have the top four teams be the conf, best conference champions every year. Right, but if to get to the fourth conference champion, you might have to go grab number nine or number ten from the committee rankings because you could add. Yeah, if there's an upset. Two, yeah, when like ten and two, two. Florida State sitting there at, at at number nine. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I mean, but they all about the four seed. Then, so that's what I'm saying. <laughs> they they printed out the bracket when they announced the like, yeah, we're going to go forward it, and this is what it would look like this year, and it was like four Clemson with a bye. Yeah, and we're like oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like that 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, after testing, you know, because it does feel like these those first two years of the 12 team playoff are going to be a lot of just testing things out and seeing uh, seeing how it looks with the uh, with the fans. But I also think like for Notre Dame, as far as its independence, it also depends what your goal is. Like if if you just want to make as much money as possible, I would argue being an independent is probably not your best choice because you make more money in the Big Ten. Or I don't think you wouldn't make more money in the ACC, but you would make more money in the Big Ten. I think that if your goal is to win national titles, being an independent, probably not the best path, not with the current construction of the playoff, because like we just discussed, you don't get that buy that makes things a lot more difficult. If your goal is just to be profitable and have a sustained, successful program that makes your fans happy, then being independent is the best choice because then you get to keep scheduling everybody you want, which is why... I thought when we first went through the mania last summer of the Big Ten adding USC, if they went after Stanford, they would be, then be able to finally convince Notre Dame to join the league. Because you'd be building out Notre Dame's schedule in your standings. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, all right, this question comes from Jake on Twitter. Uh, he says, all right, serious question for at Cover 3 Podcast. What year was the best NCAA football video game? I'm an Aussie who has never played and looking to get a copy, but want to choose the best one at Tom Fernelli at Chip Patterson at Bud Oatry at Danny Cannell. What time is it there? Right now? Like, is I'm, I'm assuming he's Back on the East Coast. Yeah, I'm assuming he's on the East Coast of Australia because I think that's where like 90% of the place, country, the people live in there. But I just, it's like, that's got to be what, like 11 a.m. or 11 p.m. there? Yeah, he's he's looking for a suggestion. His He's hovering over... He's hovering over a, an Xbox or a PS3 and trying to buy an old game right now. He, we need to give him some advice. What was the best version or year of the NCAA football game? Bill Walsh, college football, 95. <laughs> Go get yourself a Super Nintendo, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> when I could play in it with myself and a 13 jersey. Let's go. It, it was like the FSU at a QB. Yeah, we were a game. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't have our names on the back, but I knew it was. It's 2 a.m. in Sydney, by the way. Um, I don't like I for me, I don't know as far as gameplay goes. I don't they all mostly kind of felt the same. I I know some people have like favorite years. For me personally, my favorite year was 2001. The one with Sean Alexander on the cover, because that was the one year where you're in college and you no longer, you know, you're with all your friends. So we had a dynasty mode with like five of us all taking over teams in a dynasty mode in which we actually kept going for seasons because, you know, after class, we'd go back to my apartment and we'd all play. So that was the most fun I ever had in NCAA because this was before, you know, you had the online and you could play with people all over the world. You had to actually be in the room with the person playing on the console. So that was my favorite version of the game. The recruiting lost the mark a little bit. For it got a li- too complicated. It got too complicated, you know, and it, you had to choose what your pitch was going to be. But then they course corrected when you got into like 12, 13, 14, right before the game was ended, where you just had to assign points. You didn't have to literally select whether you were pitching on playing time or location to home or, or you know, match up with the personality quiz that the computer had created for you. It was much more like, shoot, it was much more like you are a bag man because you had (laughs) points and every single week of recruiting, you could assign how many of those points you wanted to each recruit. So I would say that before things got too complicated, like 04 through 08, and then after things kind of course corrected, 
NCAA 14, for those who have not followed, is the last year of the game. It's also kind of, Danny, kind of a sick Florida State um, team because it is the group that went on to win the national championship. Your running back room is loaded. You've got Rashad Green on the outside. Button hooks to Rashad Green are undefeated in that game. They're playing soft coverage. It's an easy eight yards every single time. Um, I, I liked the last year of the game a lot. Some of that is because I played it so much. But I would say that you've got to get before things got too complicated and uh, and then after when things got a little bit easier uh, to go and to follow along. I was say going back to recruiting, a little too unrealistic. Like there were schools that would be signing five stars that had no shot of signing five stars in real life. And like you, like I would take over Georgia State and I'd be in my second year and I'd be able to recruit a five star. That's not real life. <laughs> so I, in that one aspect, like the, the process of the recruiting should have been simpler, but the outcomes should have been far a little more difficult, I think. Pairing down the roster was always just a really tough decision when I'm telling a, an 88 rating that he's got to hit the streets because I've got an 86 who's two years younger coming up that I just added to the signing class. If you if you aren't making if you weren't in the top two on the depth chart, I don't care if you're a 94. Hit the streets, yeah. my friend. You're getting uh, just in there cutting people ruthlessly uh, time and time again. Uh, our thanks to everybody who participated, whether you came and joined us live, offered a question, or whether you put it in through the big old bag of mail. We will be back on Monday, and it is the beginning of draft season. If you've been rocking with us for several years, you know that over the last couple of years, we've had a lot of fun uh, drafting these different positions. There's the quarterback draft where we put together a quarterback room, a pass catchers draft, wide receivers and tight ends, an Oklahoma drill draft where we do offensive linemen, defensive linemen, running backs and linebackers, and it's all competing against each other, uh, and it's all with you rocking along with us. So we are going to begin with the quarterback draft on Monday. We hope you come and hang out with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Pinelli. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you.